0: welcome back welcome 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 back to yet another very exciting episode of the friends talking fantasy podcast my name is charles and with me today is my lifelong friend and co-host dylan I'm ready to talk some
1: fancy with my friend Charles. I was, I was
0: really feeling the, really the intro music up. that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I was, I was hitting some dance moves. So, I wish sometimes that the the listeners could be viewers, Ooh, but don't we all? Unfortunately, yeah, that is not an option right
0: now. And I'm, or maybe fortunately, really, but <laughs> I guess I t- yeah. Now you are looking good. You're doing some good moves because it's an exciting day. Because. We've got another book to talk about. Well, (laughs) we do. Uh, There's good reason why I
1: was hitting the dance moves hard, because we're going to be covering... Oh, my. yeah.
0: Mind blown, right, Charles? Well done, Dylan. I didn't even see that coming. That's how incredible you are as a a lifelong friend and co-host, because, yes... (laughs) Incredible friend (laughs) for dancing there. Yes, we'll be
1: covering a book that you read... Charles that uh, you're going to give recommendation for mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. we're doing back-to-back weeks of this because I did uh, This how you lose the time War last week and that's right yeah, you right know ahead.
0: it's we, we've got a lot to read on the reading schedule we've promised to do all kinds of other books uh, and we've got our friends pitching fantasy series that we're reading through so all of those things are going on but that doesn't mean we're not still reading other things at the same time. So I had the distinct privilege of getting to read a dance of cloaks in my downtime. And now that it is finished, I was like, well, I've read it. So I'm here to talk about it. And that's what we're here to do today. We are yes. discussing And I'm mostly here to dance. Yes. Unfortunately <laughs> I have no
1: no cloaks. Although I did once you know I did once have a sort of cheap cloak that I would wear. To playing Dungeons and Dragons because uh, I would play the rogue. I was like, and I'd be like, yeah. Whenever I'd go stealth, mm-hmm. I would like throw the cloak over my head. I and you know, with the how <laughs> how bad I don't want to mess up my hair, you have to know how much commitment <laughs> I was putting in, Charles, when I would throw the hood of the cloak over my head. So that, that meant a lot to well, everyone around me. I'm sure.
0: It is a sad day that you didn't bring it into the recording. I guess there's always next time, but. Today, you know, we're just got the dancing and we've got A Dance of Cloaks <laughs> to talk about by David Doglish. Uh, this book came into my life in an interesting way. A co worker of mine who, you know, we exchange uh, fantasy books back and forth and recommend things to each other. This was part of the stack of books that he had given to me a while back to read. And I've been slowly working my way through the pile and, you know, You feel bad for holding on to someone else's books, you know, like someone loans you a book, and this whole thing of like, I've got to read it, I got to return it, this and that. So, um, any, I had a bunch too, and then we read all the time, and I have to make sure we get that reading done. So I had to, you know, be consciously making time to go through this, and now we're here. And and, and so when it was recommended to me, I was like, well, I'm excited because you know we have pretty similar interests and. in the fantasy genre, so excited to see, like this was not on my radar at all, I had never heard of it, I would never heard of David Doglish until he was recommended to me through Word of Mouth at Work and I have since learned quite a bit about him and you know, finished the first book as well this beginning of this is kind of interesting you know, David Doglish was an uh, indie author for a long time and this was like the fifth novel that he had written um he had written another series before this one called the half orc series and it was pretty popular and there was a character in that who is a main character in this story called i I don't know the actual pronunciation h-a-e-r-n i pronounced hern um hern but uh that's one of the main characters in this story And he's featured in the Half-Orc series. And then when he was writing more of the backstory for this character, who was your typical rogue like Dylan throwing the cloak on, running around, man of all trades. um, He describes him as mysterious, deadly, and basically the ace in the hole if I ever threw the characters into a situation a bit over their heads. That's how he described the character in the Half-Orc series. So as he started to flesh out that backstory... He basically created uh, this whole new series, and it's a pretty long series, the Shadow Dance series. I think it's got six books in it. But anyway, this was a unique writing process in that at first it was an independently released book, and it got a lot of popularity. I mean, he was selling thousands, hundreds of thousands of copies of his books, and it led him to get picked up by Orbit. And when the book was picked up to be published by Orbit, he actually went back with a new editor and redid this book for, you know, professional publication, which I find to be an interesting process. You know, you go from like to revisit your old work that was already pretty popular and to work with a professional editor and get it ready for the big leagues, I guess. It's kind of interesting to hear him describe that process and what he calls the the growing pains of like when he wrote that never thinking you know i'm writing it for me and for you know the stories i want to tell publish it myself self-published all of that to like oh now i'm rewriting this as a you know air quotes author who's gonna get this book then you know traditionally published it 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 seemed to be quite the interesting story so that's the origins of uh, a dance of cloaks dylan have you stumbled on that very often where you've got the um The uh, indie author revisiting a work to re-release it, like traditionally I'll say, I keep saying professionally, I mean traditionally, everyone's a professional. If you can write a book, no matter how it's published, thumbs up from me. So we'll say traditionally published.
1: It kind of reminds me of The Rage of Dragons by Evan Winter. Mm. And that's another book that was hugely popular as a self-published book and really picked up steam especially on reddit on the art fantasy mm-hmm. community and then became uh, traditionally published and i believe he also went back and had to make some changes to it i know um uh, was it legends and lattes uh, oh, yeah also uh, recently i don't know how much rewriting went into that process like i don't know if it was mostly just released by tour pretty much as it was originally written but that's another one and i'm sure our buddy mark lawrence who we just had on the show a couple weeks back uh, could probably name some others that got traditional deals i think um Sendliness ends was another one uh josiah bancroft i believe. I, sorry if i butchered that name i wasn't prepared for that one coming in okay. but uh, yeah he he also ended up getting a traditional publishing deal out of the whole thing and i, I think he went back and did some rewrites but I'm not sure about the like going back and rewriting process right, how right, common right. that is when these self-published books get deals i'm pretty sure that evan winter did at least a decent amount of that mm. and the others not positive like Mike a, Sullivan and the cool.
0: Revelations too right he was mm. one of the OG like big time yeah. um independently self published that kind of got the traditional publishing deal i just don't i I just it's rare that I have researched like the process between what happens with the book from when it was self-published to when it gets traditionally published and what that process is like. David Dalglish was just very upfront about like the warts and all of his book when he originally wrote it, which according to this, it says this book, this version was the traditionally published one has a copyright of 2013. And then he says in a note from the author that he had written it, self published it two years prior. And he says, um, with all its warts and in all its glory. (laughs) So that was uh, Mm -hmm. how he described it. And he said,. It was written at a feverish pace with a complete anything-goes mentality. If I didn't know why a character was doing whatever they were doing, screw it, I'd tie it in later. If plot lines were balls, I was throwing (laughs) dozens and dozens into the air just to see if I could juggle them all. And the second I thought I was doing it right, I flung one more in for fun. So that's kind of the process that he was going into. And he says he's more under control now, and he thanks his editors, wonderful editor, and this, that, and the other. And uh, he's very proud of the version that he was able to create um, for traditionally published works, and I get—I think that just goes to show you how much like a. A book can be, you know, like a movie where you have the director, but then you have a whole team. And I think of like Sanderson's books where he's got like a whole squad, like the credits for uh, Rhythm of War would be just as long as a Marvel movie in many cases of all the people that get involved <laughs> and touch the book. And when you're publishing it by yourself and it's like, imagine making a movie by yourself with no help. It's It, it can be kind of wild. Um, I mean, he mentions he has friends and family and like social media groups that he would you know, collaborate with and things like that, but it's pretty much on your own. So it's kinda interesting to see that spirit carry over into his traditionally published work and and like a more polished work, I'll say, for lack of better phrase. Um it's interesting because this book is very much like he described it anything goes, like you know, full octane, entertainment driven, like throw a bunch of things out there and just having fun, and that is the strongest part of A Dance of Cloaks, and I guess, you know, 12 minutes in, I should kind of talk about what this book is about. Um, it's it's very reminiscent to me when I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is very Brent Weeks, which I know, Dylan, we've got to get you on the Night Angel trilogy, but it's a grimdark series for sure, and it's very much reminds me of night angel trilogy where it's super grim and then the action is very action-packed and and cinematic and it's almost like a it reminds me like if sin city for example was a book where it's fun and it's not afraid to be like super over the top with its entertainment and, and things like that and that's what this and like very easily accessible that's a huge part of what this is it's like a grim dark traditional fantasy D kind of setting where there's a kingdom but what's interesting about it is the kingdom is controlled by various, um, well, there's a traditional king and then there's the government. But then there is a larger ruling factions of thieving crews. And one of the main mm-hmm. thieving crews, you know, is a, calls himself a king and they're all at war with each other. And it's his son who is this character, Heron that is uh, one of the main characters of the story. But Thern, I believe, is how you pronounce the king's name um he reminds me of, like, if Yorg as an adult, basically. It, it's got a lot of that Prince of Thorns vibes, too. Prince of Thorns. Yeah. Mark Lawrence, friend of the show. It's very, it's like Prince of Thorns and Brent Weeks and Mistborn. Like, that kind of spirit of fantasy telling, which is cloaks mm. flying through the rooftops, people throwing daggers at each other, people betraying each other. I mean, it opens with, like, a backstabbing and then another backstabbing and then that guy gets backstabbed. You know, it's, it's it's very much that kind of like full embrace of of the grimdark genre and the cloak and dagger and the and the roguelike um archetypes in the genre and yeah it, it the the way it fully embraces it to me is, is what drives a lot of the entertainment of the story it, it is fun in that way um you know david doglish you know has a like when i'm reading his like about and stuff he references video games a lot he's an american author he's living in when this book was written he was living in missouri i caught an interview of him with um Fan-Fi addict right dylan that was the, that was the interview we watched yeah. which was great and highly recommend you watch that he just seems like a really nice down-to-earth guy who had just a fun story spinning around in his head that he really wanted to tell and he had fun characters in his head that he really wanted to get out there. And it just kind of snowballed in support to become a, you know, by popular demand, like picked up by Orbit and, and and distributed across the country, which is a super cool thing to have happen for a self-published author. And, and it's well-deserved. And, and it's just a fun moment in like the fantasy genre when things like that get to happen.
1: It really is, and it's. it sounds like it's really cool. One of the things about self-published books is they have the option to do what it sounds like Doglish did, which is just write whatever they want mm. and not have to worry about, like, oh, is this something that, uh, like, can actually be traditionally published in this market? It's like, eh, no, who cares? Like, <laughs> uh, let's just do whatever I want to do and mm. see what happens. And I think that kind of thing whether or not it ends up traditionally published eventually it ends up really coming through to the readers when an author is having fun writing what they're writing no one wants to read anything that comes off like stiff or it comes off as though it's trying to pander to whatever the most recent trend is so it can get published traditionally like it's always a joy when right. you can feel that the writer was enjoying what they're doing for sure and it sounds like uh, that's a, a big plus for this novel
0: right because of the route that it took it didn't like get notes from an agent or from a publishing group or a studio it wasn't part of like well i've got a I've got a book deal that I just signed and now I have to write a book. And it's not like, Oh, it's a product of the times. I better turn this out. It's, it's just a story that a guy, like a guy that is likes to tell stories came up with and found an audience and grew it into a, into its own thing. And you, there's a certain magic when something like that gets more mainstream and you can kind of see the origins of the more grassroots kind of storytelling because know we read a lot of really awesome super high polished books i'm I'm looking at my bookshelf right now i see jonathan strange and mr norell by Susanna clark i see the spear cuts through water by simon jimenez i see the fifth season by nk jemisin all of these like beautiful gems that are so like written by these literary master authors that are telling, a, we always say, capital L literature story in using fantasy to bring home those themes, and David Douglas was like, I'm gonna write like the the John Wick of fantasy right now, and I'm gonna just go full octane fun, and that's my a- approach, you know, and the accessibility of it and the entertainment of it is really the. The strongest points of it, like if you're someone who has been reading, even like Brandon Sanderson or Malazan, like that side of fantasy as well, where it just feels really big and sometimes unapproachable. Where it's like, oh god, or Wheel of Time or something, where it's like, do I got to remember all these two hundred side characters? Do I have to remember the political factions like in Game of Thrones? Like, how who are these two families again? Like, the pressure to feel like you have to follow those things is totally gone in in this book and that's the most impressive thing to me about David Dalglish's writing like he keeps it fun he throws a lot at you a lot of balls that he's juggling and is to use his words Um, but it never feels intimidating it never feels like slogged at all it's always moving you're always right there he gives you the clues of like here's the character remember this interesting thing about the character like you know he has that gift of kind of reminding you who a character is sometimes you're reading like wheel of time and you're like who's a gwayne and who's elaine and who's like you know <laughs> <laughs> moraine like who are these characters you know you can kind of forget and he just that's fine <laughs> i i love wheel of time but uh, you know that's the example i have in my head uh,
1: it's a fair it's a fair shot to fire but it's like
0: <laughs> he can throw a character at you and you rec- like they're all so distinct and fit this part that like you can identify them immediately you can roll with the story and you can have fun with it and every other you know scene is an action scene or a murder scene or a betrayal scene um there's i forgot to mention there's the like government faction there's thievery and the thieving guilds uh, that are at war and then there's also this religious pillar too and they have magical abilities and of course they're corrupt as well and and um, have powerful fighters and warriors too that, that embraces more of the magical side of fantasy than like the thieving crews are all cloak and dagger so you get a little bit of everything worked in and it's really fun and you know I was reading more about David Dalglish and he's like yeah I started with a friend we were making video games in RPG maker which is a way you can just make Uh, rpgs um, and he was like i found myself like enjoying writing the games more than make like the best part for me of making a game was getting to write it and he's like why can't i just write then and forget the rest and this definitely has the vibe of like if you're playing an m rated like action rpg that's the very much kind of the story that we're getting here um it was a lot of fun and it's definitely for us where we always kind of lean towards the grimdark roguelike genre it's right in there like i'm imagining it's not the mad like the fight scenes aren't as like science-based and complex as something like mistborn but they're just as like intricate and detailed and and exciting uh, as as mistborn was so that's like the high praise i have for it and um it makes me want to like (laughs) <laughs> Go back and like revisit like things about Mistborn and things about the Night Angel trilogy and like put me back and and like Mark Lawrence's work in in uh, Prince of Thorns. It brings me back to that world of fantasy, which I feel like we kind of haven't touched in a long time. I know we read Prince of Thorns in relatively recent history, but it feels like we haven't kind of dabbled in this kind of fantasy in a while, and I missed it. You know, I missed it.
1: Yeah, I could totally see. How you'd miss a book that's just dedicating itself to fun mm-hmm. and entertainment and action, and it reminds me, Charles, you remember when we went to see Mad Max: Fury Road with? Uh, oh yeah, it was you, me, and uh, Derek, uh, yeah, our other out. lifelong friend and your co-host from your Vandy Project, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Roger Roger, a Star Wars podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, check it out if you're a big Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. but. I remember, you know, you go in, something like that, or Pacific Rim is another one. Yeah, that's a good And one. you go in with this mentality of just like, I'm here for the fun. I'm here for the entertainment. I'm here for the, uh, the action. Hmm. And movies like that really deliver if you go in with the right mentality. I mean, meanwhile, you look at something like, Mad Max and end up being a total like critical darling and winning all these Oscars right. uh, for you know, like the editing and the costume design all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I think of that movie what I managed to do was to, those things uh, seemed like happenstance of trying to make something that was just entertainment action and fun mm-hmm. and i remember afterward you me and derek like it was already pretty late and we were just like standing around uh by one of our cars at the parking lot and we just like had so much fun watching yeah. the movie that we couldn't stop I talking about movie. it yeah, a and so it's like yeah a fantastic movie so uh, yeah but the stuff like that or pacific rim i know there are points in my life uh like before i was able to appreciate that as much as mm-hmm. i i ended up being able to later on where it's like all about that mentality you go in with and something like pacific Rim is mm. like if you're ready to just watch like kaijus <laughs> and robots just like beat the crap out of each other and you're not expecting like hey this has to like dedicate itself to all these like Caplow literature type themes it's like you can let yourself have an incredible time yeah. and I, it sounds like this is kind of in the camp of like hey Let yourself have an amazing time. Some will call it popcorn fiction. I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I mean it like you're enjoying it and you're just downing all this popcorn. Yeah. Which I don't necessarily recommend while you read because like especially if it's a lot of butter or like the white cheddar. You're going to ruin the book. And Charles, this was a borrowed book. So Uh, I hope you did not get any butter or white cheddar stains on it. I did not. Uh, But figuratively speaking,
0: a great popcorn book. That is exactly what I was gonna say. It's it, it's I definitely could picture myself eating popcorn while enjoying the story, but I didn't because you have to maintain the integrity of the books when you gotta return it. Um, also, I would say it's like, and I was thinking of this coming into what like this episode when I was trying to figure out what am I gonna say about the story. And the thing I kept coming back to it's like a really good like B horror movie or B action movie, and I don't mean that to kind of. Undercut the story, but I mean it in a way of like, look, this was a low budget story that had a great idea that got popularity and like took off. And you're watching it and you're having fun because, like, if you're someone that loves B movies, you know there's a certain magic about that style of filmmaking that you could love. Marvel or, you know, Avatar, but yeah. it could never capture B-movie, that magic. you do
1: mean B-movie with Jerry Seinfeld.
0: Yes, right? B-E-E e- movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where right. B okay. falls in love are, with a woman. Are... Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Voiced by Jerry Seinfeld.
1: <laughs> do they, uh, you know, skip ahead if you don't want... Uh, oh, I did just spoil B-movie. <laughs> B-movie spoilers. Do they... Do they end up together?
0: I don't even remember. Do the bee and the woman? I end know up there together? was like a romance triangle with you know a human male. So I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, I only saw it once in <laughs> you know, theaters love when, maybe twenty years ago. Whenever that came out, I don't know how old. You love movie. when our great artists get experimental
1: and really push the boundaries, like uh,
0: be human romance. <laughs> So good job, Jerry Seinfeld. Good job, one. Jerry Seinfeld. And um, yeah, good job, David Dalglish. And yeah, it is a B-movie, not B-E-E. B-movie type <laughs> feel where, you know, it's, it's something about the kind of familiarity, the campiness, the grassroots feel of it um, combined with just make, having an entertaining story. It captures a sort of magic that I think a lot of people are B movie fans for a reason because it's like you, you just can't get that in an over polished like Hollywood movie and and that's what this book does in Spades. I would say if you are someone who loves the cloak and dagger, grim dark like you're gonna Brent week story, then this is um, the book for you. Um, if I had to lay on some of the criticisms, like with that B movie does come with a bit of like under polish. If you're someone, you know, who uh, I think of like Mistborn where it's got these kind of intricate little mysteries and hooks and, and suspense and kind of these shocking reveals and a like well executed complex magic system, like just a little bit of some of that next level. This book doesn't prioritize that it focuses definitely more on the flashy sequences um and i think that's just david alglish playing to his strength so that's something to consider you know it's literally just you're reading a book of people's like betraying each other murdering each other stabbing each other torturing each other um and some people might think that's a little bit too um like it doesn't go deep enough or there's no like intricate political factions deep world building deep war deep themes like none of that is here mostly by choice so i don't want to kind of detract from the story because you know like you said dylan you got to know what you're walking into and be prepared for what you're walking into so that's the thing or you, it's something you have to consider maybe you're someone that you know choosing a book and the act of reading is a very precious choice and you want only the like the best-selling, best books in the genre, you may skip this one over. But if you're someone who's read Brent Weeks and who's read, you know, all these classic Grimdark guys and wants more and just wants to have fun, it's like a, it's a natural next pick. I did notice, you know, that, that you you also wouldn't be reading this for like being in, you know, I was just coming off of, you know, Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez, who was like an absolute poet and then you read this and it's very direct you know there's no flowery language there's no prose here uh, and it's not like there's much distinction between characterization beyond their their trait like i'm the brute thug and i do brute thug things i'm the evil king i do evil king stuff you know it's it makes it way more accessible and entertaining and i think that's how he found an audience but it also kind of keeps it from breaking through to like it's not winning any literary awards i'll say that but not every book has to you know i'm i i would not want david dalglish to write a book like that unless he really wanted to because it takes away the magic of what he did create so i would say that the other thing is there's a lot of like when you're embracing the grimdark and the violence you're also embracing a lot of like kind of crude uh, moments which sometimes for me fell a little flat like like when Yorg, you know, killed people, it was very over the top, and and you could be like, oh my gosh, what he did was horrible, but you could kind of couch it in his characterization and and in the story, and in this you can to a certain extent, but it's not as believable as the works like Mark Lawrence. I know it's like unfair to make that comparison, right? To compare anyone to to to, to Mark Lawrence, but. Um, you know it does fall a little short on on that as well be, and that just comes back to again you got to realize what you're, you know set your expectations here we're here to have fun we're not here to think too hard and <laughs> that's what this book's all about so I, I feel like when i see criticisms for this book in the story a lot of it comes down to that and that's fine it, just be aware of that before you pick up the book um there's also like a weird like weird weird details of violence and 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 gore and stuff there's a scene where like a like a guy is forcibly making out with a woman and the woman throws up and then he gleefully like eats the the vomit it's like super yeah. nasty and like it sticks that's, out as being nice. like not even something i can picture in my brain as something that's possible and <laughs> and then it happens a second time later. So it's not even like that was just like a weird thing that maybe like you're writing really fast and trying to be gross and intense. But, but you come back to it later and you do it again. And you're like, this is so bizarre. Like, why is this happening? So <laughs> I, I think that comes from that indie public, like the self-published, like trying to write shocking stuff that maybe a, a agent or an editor would have talked him out of well before it made it into the book. But, you know, it's... That like, we, do we
1: need the second instance the, of like people vomiting back and forth in each other's <laughs> mouths I mean, that could be a decent editor's note but i would say uh, remove said, both we gotta...
0: but it's not my story <laughs> and it made me read something and picture something that i had never read or pictured before and i always like to give some kind of kudos for a storyteller that can do we're that we're talking but, about it like it reminds me of The I mean, Boys where crazy talking. stuff happens in The Boys. And I just can't help but laugh because I would have never thought of something so deranged. The Boys on Amazon. Yeah, The Boys on Amazon. About. Uh, yeah, Amazon like, Prime. I'm just applauded that you thought show. of something That's so deranged like... that never even entered my my brain
1: you know if it's deranged enough where it's never entered into charles's brain oh, yeah. now that is very deranged i mean so, you could be like right yeah, the grossest thing you can that.
0: think of and i don't think i would have ever been like and then they throw up back and forth in each other's mouth <laughs> multiple times oh, <laughs> you know it's very bizarre uh, so there's stuff like that in this book but you know i think weirdly enough some of those details one you don't get them in more traditionally published works that often so i feel like that's a part of how this audience was cultivated like it's this b-movie magic of this weird stuff that happens in this story combined with the accessibility of it and the fast pace of it um i feel like there's probably a lot of fantasy readers out there who are like man why does every best-selling fantasy book have to be so gosh darn complicated and like so long and flowery and and all this other stuff like where's our you know where's our, where's all the fun and uh, and all the traditional grimdark stuff that we used to get 20 years ago and now uh, like a lot of the mainstream what's getting published and celebrated in fantasy today is not so much this it's more of like new voices and fan and fantasy and bringing in these um, real social commentary into into fantasy, and we love that. Like that stuff to me is very modern and exciting. But you kind of forget that there's stories like these out there that are like you know the the noir, cloak and dagger stuff. And I think that's how you're able to kind of cultivate an audience today is like deliver on some of that stuff. And David Douglas, seems like a really nice guy, a really talented guy, and you know has a background in just writing for fun and and growing an audience and I think that should be celebrated and it's always nice to see the traditional world celebrating you know and supporting self-published authors and picking them up and giving them a platform to spread the story so I don't want to take any of that away and I think that's the important distinction here uh for this book I don't know if I if I explained myself well doing what do you think
1: I think you did and I agree on the idea of celebrating works like this, you know, I'm one of the first to jump to all these like capital L leaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I just talked about last week This how you lose the time more, mm-hmm. uh, which won the Nebula and the Hugo award. And it's like, that's uh, a lot of what gets people really excited today is these like uh, different books that have, I know we're talking about how the prose is very direct in uh, uh, Dance of Cloaks. Mm. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, last week I was talking about how oh, some people found the prose too dense and this is how you lose a time war. And they didn't enjoy it as much as a, a, like that kind of reader might enjoy something more direct like what Dalglish is doing. And I think... like. Like I said, I jump toward a lot of these, like, let's explore these big-time themes and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, people are reading for their recreation for the most part. Mm -hmm. And if you can find books like this that have you enjoying your free time and having fun, then I think it's a great thing that we have books like this that people don't have to be – always challenged by the thing that they do for fun good to challenge yourself sometimes i always you know i seek out those books but it's also good to enjoy yourself when you're engaging in a recreational activity so glad that these kind of works are are being published and i agree charles
0: that they need to be celebrated as well for what they offer exactly that's well said dylan and i i will say that the first book you know it's a long series like i said six books um so if you're looking to keep the party going um david douglas has quite an extensive library already with the series and the half Orc series that came out before it so there's a lot to get into here which is good um the first story is mostly self-contained i mean it, it leaves uh obviously an opening For more stories, but I just wanted to also make the point that you could read the first book, get the David Douglas experience and feel like you don't have to then be committed to five more books. You could read the one and get a good reading experience and walk away and maybe come back to the second one months later if you wanted to because I, I know some people can get intimidated by like oh, it's 12 books long and here, here's it's a thousand pages it's it, 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 no you can read a one 300 page story here and and be well it's 400 pages but they're you know not super long pages. Uh, and and yeah, be done. I remember you showed me it was pretty sizable font. Yeah. It seems like pretty. It looks sizable, easy but reading. it it, re- it reads fast. It it does. It's like four hundred and fifty words and uh, pages. I mean, <laughs> if was one hundred and fifty words, it'd be very short. Uh, and you can just uh, <laughs> you can you can crank through it. Like I, I had a good time powering through it, and it's nice to know I don't have to like underline stuff. And it's like, oh, did he tie that theme back from the beginning? Like uh, it's nice to know I didn't have to have that much i um, dedicated to this. I was able to just enjoy it. And that's the greatest thing I can say mm. about a, a dance of, of cloaks. And it makes me want to, you know, maybe who knows next time we get into friends pitching fantasy, we uh, bring some Brent weeks into the mix. Uh, it's really got me in the, mm. in the mood. So who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Um, something else Dylan. And I, I, I've, I'm sorry to mention there's no time travel in the story. Um, it's very <laughs> linear time progression over a short period of time, and everyone is in the in the present. Wait, <laughs> so time just moves forward? Time just moves forward. There's not even like a whole lot of flashbacks or flash forwards. It's it's very much a a begins at one point in time, and time goes on, and then the story ends at the end of the timeline. You know, huh.
1: trying to wrap my head around <laughs> this. So it's like. Every successive page, the events occur after the events of the previous pages. Pretty that's much. What you're yeah, yeah,
0: that's actually a good way to put it. Yeah, that's pretty much. I, I can't say. I don't remember. 100%. I don't know if I want to read books like that.
1: But <laughs> everyone knows I somehow ended up really into time travel books. And you know what? I. You mentioned Mark Lawrence earlier. I was thinking about Impossible Times. Oh, trilogy. yeah. When I read that, that's yeah. like, a very time travely, timey-wimey. I've got to read those. Like to say. I've got to read those. So, oh, I remember those you recommending
0: yeah. them uh, on the show. And yeah. that was one we could have added to the list when we were listing all the time-travel books you didn't purposely yet still I, did read. <laughs> oh, there's so many.
1: There's so many. <laughs> it's like uh, when I stop and think about it it's actually wacky how many of them there are (laughs) but But, and then i complain about like time travel is like so overdone it's like it's overdone when you specifically choose every time travel book and read them back to (laughs) back to back to back back. then you're like like, no one's reading as much time travel
0: as you i haven't read a time travel book all the ones you've read have been off you've like gone out of your way to go outside the reading to read time travel books so it's not even like i even <laughs> understand you said that and i was like overdone what are you talking about <laughs> so anyway it does
1: feel like the uh, it does feel like in the broader i guess content creation like entertainment it does feel like there's a lot of time travel crap
0: yeah there There certainly is it can be fun i mean hey we even got like the avengers gets all timey-wimey too and then you've got like the metaverse which is a super popular thing for a bunch of like franchises because they can be like oh my god we can tell whatever story we want and still have it be part of the same franchise and throw continuity out the window and and sell lots of merchandise like we're all we're doing metaverse now so even at that level it's getting pretty mainstream and uh, there's the Spider-Verse as well, which, you know, I'm a big fan of the Spider-Verse. So, yeah. We'll yeah, see. and there's like
1: Dark on Netflix, which is really good. Or well, at least yeah. I, I watched the first season. I've heard it was good really things good. about it. Uh, it's like Christopher Nolan is like freaking obsessed with time. It's like, um it yeah, must man. be, yeah, like Tenet, I think, was was time travel. And he's he's always doing time stuff. Even when it's not explicitly time travel, it's like, oh, like, uh, I guess I shouldn't say what happens in Interstellar. <laughs> time is relevant to that, and then for spoiler reasons, I won't say. But I can say Inception is all like, oh, if like time is really slow, every layer you go deeper into, it's like I don't know, enough time. It's like, what's, what's with the time thing? Can't we get into space?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> more space content and i don't mean outer space i just mean focused on the idea of space <laughs>
0: hmm well maybe <laughs> one day <laughs> you can be the first one
1: yeah yeah but well, for now we've got like space space travel space travel no one's talking about space travel
0: <laughs> star trek <laughs> that's
1: every that's no i don't mean space like that i mean literal like traveling like road
0: trip, like indie road trip movies. Yeah. Any,
1: <laughs> you know, like time and space, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like time and space, like everything that is move, like anything that is moving
0: is space travel. This is more than I wanted to talk about. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I it was just a throwaway thing about building up your ethos around liking time travel books. It didn't mean to be now a space, space story. Like a
1: five minute. <laughs> <laughs> so five I'm gonna minute kill that just de-
0: now to come back and see a dance of cloaks by David Dog. Mm. Going backwards. You know, we've got in time. We've got Grim Dark. We've got Rogue Thieves. We've got Cloak and Dagger. We've got Action. Um and we've got your popcorn Experience. and space travel
1: people move around i assume
0: yes move through space yes yes it's not purely ethereal so there is some of some space and matter involved in, in this um mm-hmm. it's not in a vacuum so uh, and we love it for that <laughs> don't we folks so hey, if any of this sounds like it could be up your alley you've got nothing to lose given this a shot um yep Look out for that. Look out for that throw up scene. And I'm just like, let me know if I'm the only one that was like kind of couldn't let that go. <laughs> let me know. Uh, but um, yeah, otherwise, until next time, I-, I think we're good here, Dylan. I think we're good here, too. But we're never fully done mm.
1: until we get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping,
0: Charles. Let's get that outro music Pumping, Dylan. Thank you all one and all so very much for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and find us over on social media. Let us know. We love talking people over there on the socials. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with the number one at the end on Twitter. Now Dylan, if they look what they heard today and they want to talk to us over on social media, but they want to support the show even further without spending a dime. What can they do? Not even a penny.
1: You toss five stars to our podcast, which you can now do on Spotify, where most of you are listening. It's just two clicks over at the top of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast feed, and we appreciate it so much when you do that. You can also rate and or review at Apple Podcasts, and that is always really appreciated. We love reading those reviews. It puts a smile on my face and probably Charles's face too. It sure does. But just listening is more
0: than enough. Thank you so much for doing that guys you're all awesome just for listening all the way to the end thank you so so very much for that we we greatly appreciate it and uh is it ever really the end though because when it comes to time this is the end thank you all so much for listening you know scientists don't think that time is linear it's actually totally different from that nope i'm turning it off